0: Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right, all right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host, the libertarian LeBron James. And look, today I want to talk about maybe one of the largest enemies of free speech out there. There's several. I mean, there's too many to count these days. But this one's been bothering me for a long time. And that, that is the Southern Poverty Law Center. And this, this organization is, their, their claim to fame, at least these days, is they track hate groups. And, uh, of course, a hate group for them is, is any group that, uh, that disagrees with their political point of view, or just their general point of view, for that matter. And um, anyway, I just, I just, I was looking for something to talk about, you know, I didn't really want to do another Bernie Sanders right away, although I'm going to do another one, because I think that's really important. And of course, the war in Ukraine is, is getting ridiculous, and so I'll probably talk about that again today, but I just, again, but didn't want to today. So, the Southern Poverty Law Center, though, was originally started by. In in fact, I'm going to hold off on that because I've got a little intro, um, where where this uh, this guy talks about where they started. Um, but uh, let's let's jump right in and, and and listen to their what they say. They had a, a a big, I don't know what you call it, like a a, a summit, a hate summit recently where they presented. It was all done online, but uh, I guess you could have logged in and and followed along. And uh, anyway, I just thought some of the the points of view there are very interesting and, uh, you know, are worthy of critique. So uh, without further ado, let's listen to the intro and and, uh, get started.
1: The Southern Poverty Law Center started with a noble mission, but has long since degenerated into what one of its own employees described as a highly profitable scam. Here's the truth that SPLC doesn't want you to know. SPLC was co-founded and run for decades by a lawyer named Morris Dees. After winning some important cases, Dees shifted course and by his own admission decided that his only real objective was making money. And he would do it through fear-mongering and misinformation rather than by making positive social change. That is how the widely discredited SPLC hate map was born. SPLC realized that the more hate they could invent, the more money they could raise. Predictably, their definition of hate falsely implicated huge swaths of mainstream conservative America. In truth, SPLC defines hate as disagreeing with SPLC.
0: I guess Morris Dees couldn't make enough money being a lawyer, so he decided he would create the, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center. And gen up hate, or talk about hate, that more or less really doesn't exist. Um, There's some groups out there, but it's way overblown. Their their hate map, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, has, I don't know, uh, 1,200 different groups on it across the country. Uh, About two-thirds of them are hate groups, and the other third or so are political groups that uh, they just don't agree with. And, and their, their MO really is to shout down these groups or to um, basically target their leaders and, you know, raise propaganda about these people and, and basically make it miserable. They, they advocate for getting them canceled. They, they do a number of nefarious types of things. And it, and really what it does is it, it, it impinges on free speech, um, because essentially, uh, you know, they, they, they shout you down, basically. And the public square today, as we've talked about before on this program, is the Internet. And if you can't, if you can't get out your, your message over the Internet, there, there's really not a great way to do it these days.
1: Though some liberals in corporate media still cite SPLC, Many people, even on the left, have spoken out against it. Current Affairs says SPLC is everything that's wrong with liberalism. Describing SPLC as dysfunctional, Current Affairs details a litany of serious issues with the SPLC's laughable hate map and concludes that the SPLC's pet project is useful for illustrating some of the worst and most hypocritical tendencies in American liberalism.
0: One of the tactics that these guys use that is very interesting is any, any kind of article that you see that's sponsored by the SPLC, what you'll see it is like I'm looking at one right now, and this is pretty typical. It says, um, It says 17 hate groups operated in Colorado in 2020, Southern Poverty Law Center reports. And right at the very top, just below the byline, is like a black and white picture from the 1930s. And it's got the Ku Klux Klan marching in the street. And then when you scroll down and you look at their list of bad actors, it's like Act for America. Um, there's a couple neo Nazi things in here, but Colorado Alliance for Immigration Reform, Family Research Institute, um, Great Milestone. And under Great Milestone, it's, they're just calling that general hate in Denver. <laughs> and so. Or here's one: Israel United in Christ. It's also a general hate group in Denver. Um, Northern Kingdom of Prophets. It's a general hate group. So what you find is a lot of these are religious groups and uh, pro-American groups, or groups that don't want to see you know just floods of people coming across the southern border.
1: The Week says that SPLC has been busy enforcing liberal orthodoxy against its intellectual opponents, and that its ridiculously loose criteria could even brand the Dalai Lama a hater, given his views. Finally, Politico has said that today's SPLC is more of a partisan, progressive hit operation than a civil rights watchdog.
0: Yeah, you know that you're not a very good liberal organization when Politico is even saying bad things about you. But yeah, in general, these guys wrap themselves in a, you know, their virtue flag. And they, they label all these other groups as hate groups. And it's just a, I mean, you can drive a truck through their definition of hate. And, you know, the, the, to me, the dangerous thing about all this is, is to me, their hate is not shouldn't be a crime. I mean, if you hate somebody, uh, you know, that's, there's no crime in hating somebody. Um, it's when you, it's when you use force against somebody or violence against somebody. That's when it becomes a crime. Uh, if you hate your neighbor and you just don't ever talk to them and they don't ever talk to you, there's just no crime there. And even if everybody in the neighborhood knows that you hate your neighbor, there's still no crime there. And so this is a this is basically the antithesis of freedom of association. You should have the freedom to associate with whoever you want to associate with, and you should also have the freedom to not associate with whoever you don't want to associate with. And so this this group is really just, they're just hurt and, and uh, sore about the fact that uh, some people just don't want to be around other people or don't want to live with other people or whatever but as long as you're not harming somebody else there's nothing wrong with associating with those that you like or those that you want to be around and this is this is pretty much a basic um, liberty uh, in america and in general for human beings
1: but SPLC's problems are deeper than their extreme intolerance many former employees have exposed the SPLC's internal culture as racist and sexist after Dee's was fired in disgrace, former employees described racist comments on sexual harassment that were ignored for decades, all while the organization presented itself as a champion for justice and change. But that's not what SPLC is at all.
0: This little segment reminds me of uh, something that my wife always says, that liars think you're lying to them, cheaters think you're cheating on them. You know, basically projection, right? So here they are railing against racism and intolerance, and there's reports out of their own organization of of that thing. So you gotta be careful who you're pointing the finger at because there's usually 10 fingers pointing back at you.
1: And not only threats, but also an attempted mass assassination aimed at a mainstream American group who found itself on the wrong side of SPLC's vicious attacks. No wonder that SPLC has earned an F rating from Charity Watch. It's time that everyone recognizes the Southern Poverty Law Center for the disreputable and divisive organization that it is. Our society vitally needs institutions that will foster real dialogue on important issues. The Southern Poverty Law Center is not one of those institutions.
0: Just really a whole bunch of what the Southern Poverty Law Center talks about is just either non-existent or it's it's not important in the overall scheme of things. And, uh, if anything, it does, it, it, elevates some of the groups. I'm not saying, uh, there's not groups in their list that aren't hateful or whatever, but there's the vast majority of them are not. Um, for example, like the free, uh, the family research Institute, they, they just don't recognize, they don't want to be forced to recognize like LGBTQ and, uh, homosexual marriage and things like that. And for that, you know, the Southern Poverty Law Center labels them a hate group and puts them on lists and puts them on the hate map and this kind of thing. So th- this is pretty typical of what they do. It's just if they don't agree um, with you, they want to force you to to agree with them, basically. And they want to force you to agree with them by, you know, basically making you look bad and putting putting you on their list. All right, so I'm going to switch gears here in a second. I'm going to go to this uh, this conference that they had that was online and just play a little bit from each of the, the ladies speaking and comment on what they're talking about.
2: We couldn't be prouder of the team of Intelligence Project experts who assembled it. We really see this work as a partnership with all of you who are concerned about the impact of hate and extremism on democracy. Countless journalists, universities, organizations, and leaders around the world employ our research findings to enrich their stories and raise awareness of the threat that hate and extremism pose to our nation. Thank you. Please keep doing that. The organizations we have designated on our hate group list vilify others because of their race, religion, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or gender identity. These are prejudices that strike at the heart of our democratic values. In addition to hate groups, the SPLC monitors a sector of the radical right known as Anti government extremists. Groups we list as anti government see the federal government as an enemy of the people and they promote baseless conspiracy theories, generally involving a secret cabal of elites seeking to institute a global totalitarian government, a new world order, so to speak.
0: So she lays out a description of what they're, you know, what they track. They track uh, groups that are prejudiced against. race, religion, gender, ethnicity, and even um, sexual orientation, and even um, the radical right. Uh, There's a segment of the radical right they call extremist. And of course, you know, know, this is the part I, I mean, I don't really care about all that other stuff. I don't see it. When I go out and about, and I've talked about this before, I really don't see people you know, treating other people badly because of their race or their religion or their gender or any of that stuff, sexual orientation. I think, I think what's happening, I think really what's happening and, and the reason these groups are forming is not because they hate these other people, these other groups. I think what's really happening here is these people are advocating for some sort of special privilege within our government and forcing the rest of us to recognize them, And, you know, Christians, for example, don't go to the government and insist on being recognized as Christians. They just go to church and do their Christian thing, right? Same thing with Muslims. They don't really go to the government and say, we want you to recognize us as Muslims. I mean, there's no official government thing there. But what you've got is you've got these groups going to the state and forcing other people uh, or trying to force other people to believe a certain way or to recognize a certain uh, marriage relationship that maybe their religion doesn't recognize. And this is why these groups form up. These groups aren't forming to, uh, to project hate against these other groups. They're forming to protect themselves politically against these what are essentially political groups. I mean the LGBTQ group is has become a political group. Um, the Congressional Black Caucus is a political group. Um, so you know most of these most of these are responses to, to that type of activity. Now the the anti-government people I think it's interesting how they talk about conspiracy theories because, you know, it wasn't that long ago that some of the things that are being accepted today as as fact are now, you know, at one time were conspiracy theories. For example, COVID, the vaccines, the vaccines are 98% effective or 95% effective or whatever the number was. Now we're seeing that the vaccines are utterly ineffective, okay, But before that, before the data came out, that was a conspiracy theory. So this is just, to me, the whole conspiracy theory thing is, you know, a little bit of a a false flag. They hang on people to, you know, to stick them in one of these groups. And I just, I think that's, um, I mean, you're starting to hear that a lot now. Conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory. You know, maybe QAnon is a conspiracy theory. I don't know, but um, uh, I don't know how conspiracy theories harm people. I think you just don't listen to them if you don't think they're true, or you don't, or you can't find any credible evidence. But I think it was interesting also that she mentioned that they do this um, this annual report for the partners in the media um, and in various groups to let them know who the the boogeyman are basically. So I thought that was interesting that she brought that up. All right. um, Let's see what the next clip says.
2: I just want to underscore one thing to make a list. A group must actively have engaged in hateful and extremist activities in the past calendar year. The number of groups SPLC counts has declined for the third straight year. We now count 1,221 active hate and anti-government extremist groups. Cassie and Rachel will break that down for us. I want to stress these numbers do not, however, demonstrate a decline in the power of the far right. So we changed the report a little bit this year, you'll see, to show the broader threat landscape and put the influence of the groups into context.
0: Okay, there's two things that she did here that uh, were a little bit of a sleight of hand. And this is pretty typical of these, these people. They're very sneaky uh, they're, they're very creative with language and, um, and this is how they do what they do. I mean, this is, this is just how they do it. So the first thing she said was, look, um, if you, to, to make the, the hate map, you must have engaged in hate in the last calendar year, but then she doesn't define what hate is. I mean, we, that's just a mystery. We don't really know what what SPLC's definition of hate is. We just know that according to them, they engaged in hate. So there you have it. The other thing that she did was very tricky is she she admitted that the, the number of groups on the hate map has declined in the past year. But then she went on to say, but don't mistake that for a, a drop in the power of the far right. So she, what she did is she just without any kind of argument or anything, making an argument or proving anything, she just connected all one thousand two hundred of these hate groups to the far right, which I thought was especially devious. And I think the thing to understand about something like the SPLC and in SPLC is not the only one out there. Okay, there's a lot of a lot of groups like this. Uh, a lot of them are funded by people like George Soros. Uh, Media Matters is one that comes to mind, where they're always trying to get um, broadcasters they don't like, uh, trying to get their uh, sponsors to to quit them and stuff. So these these groups are really, it, it really is just about political power, and they're they're firmly on the left, and they see the right as. Uh, you know, it's, it's not just a, a friendly disagreement. It's, Hey, we want to crush you because we don't have the same vision for America that you have.
2: A key finding this year is hate and extremist ideas are operate, operating more openly in the mainstream with those subscribing to these beliefs running for office and school boards, becoming law enforcement and judges and leveraging social media to manufacture misinformation. They are radicalizing our most promising research, our children. I have a seven-year-old mixed-race child, and you know, the, now for me, the fight is really personal. What we see evolving is a continuum from the mainstream to an empowered hard right movement that is undermining our democracy. It is converging around a willingness to engage in political violence. This radical faction is rising within one of our two political parties, the Republican Party.
0: There you have it. Hate can only be in Republicans, can't be in Democrats. Democrats have nothing but love in their hearts, uh, and an honest soul, uh, and empathetic, and so on and so forth. Right? The hate, the hateful, are only uh, voting Republican. <laughs> so she laments the fact that hey, look, they're becoming more mainstream. What, what that means is people are tired of being bossed around by these busybodies and they're and they're becoming politically active because that's, that's what you have to do. That's what you have to do to beat these people back. They're using the state against you. And so in order to push back, you have to use the state to push back. Now, I think this whole thing is screwed up, okay? I don't think the state should be able to use, uh, I don't think people sh- of any stripes should be able to use the state against anybody else. But she, she just goes on to talk about how, you know, Republicans have gotten into these roles, you know, the sheriff or local school boards or whatever, and they're manufacturing information. Oh, yeah, like, uh, like they're teaching CRT or not, they're not teaching CRT, but they're, the foundations of CRT are being utilized in our public school systems, like manufacturing that kind of data. So anyway, and then she just connects the dots to this leads to a hard, hard right mainstream movement. I really just think these people are delusional because, you know, look, if something's mainstream, if everybody you know that you live around, that you go to work with, that you go to school with and, and whatnot, they share the same ideas, mainstream means that's, that's democracy, right? I mean, that, that's, that's the battle of ideas. If your ideas suck and somebody else's are better, then those ideas are going to become more popular and quote-unquote mainstream.
2: Because that is actually a political strategy to divide communities around issues of race, gender, inclusive education, vaccines. Shockingly, since January 6, many Republicans, not all, to be clear, have embraced or allowed increasingly violent rhetoric and wondered aloud whether violence might become a political necessity. That's pretty scary stuff.
0: This short little clip has so much in it, it's it's hard to even, uh, It's gonna, we're going to have to spend a few minutes here unpacking it. First of all, she talks about these hate groups are dividing communities around race, gender, and vaccines. Now, look, I've already said, look, when I go outside and I walk around, I go to the grocery store or whatever, I don't see people treating other people poorly around race or gender. I, I never see that. I never see that in the workplace. I never see it at church. I never see that anywhere. So I don't even know what the heck they're talking about. But this one about vaccines, this one's really touchy for me because if you if you force somebody, if you say you must take a vaccine and somebody says I don't want to take the vaccine. And then you know because of that, you you label that person a hate a hate person, a hateful person? I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, your body is your domain. It belongs to you, and nobody should be able to tell you what you can put in it, what you can do with it, or anything. These people are just unhappy because there are a bunch of people. It's not a small number that don't want to go along with the uh, the COVID police or you know whatever the flavor is. uh, Everybody get in line, kind of policy. There's just, there's a bunch of people that just don't want to do that. And in America, you, you should have the right to do that. You should have the right to abstain. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing about that that makes you a hateful person or belonging to a hateful group. And by the way, they just throw you in the group because, uh, you're, you you do not want to take a vaccine. What I mean by that is, you know, people didn't join the anti-vaccine group. They just individually said, I don't want to take the vaccine and then what they've done is taken all those individual decisions and grouped them all together and, and made them a, a hate group. I mean, it just logically, it just makes no sense. But this is, this is kind of what the SPLC does, among other things.
2: So I just want to end on this. Democracy is under threat. This is an alarm bell. And protecting democracy will require pushing back against the rise of the hard right.
0: One of these days, I'll have to do a show on democracy and, uh, and just point out uh, you know some of the the larger flaws in democracy. You know democracy was something that our founding fathers didn't even want. I mean they were they, uh, that was not something that they ever wanted us to have in the United States. Uh, but through some history, some historical decisions, we we now have a democracy. But these people just talk about this all the time and, and what I've noticed is, democracy is the greatest thing since sliced bread until some part of the democracy doesn't want to agree with some other part of the democracy and then and then that becomes the hard right or the hard left or the hard whatever in other words the 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 true democracy the 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 part of the democracy that the that the state is okay with is the part that says you know taxes should be somewhere between 33.6% at the highest marginal rate and 38.9 i mean if if you're if you're advocating for no taxes then you're on the hard right if you're advocating for you know 60% income tax well then you're on the hard left and so the 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 thing is th- these these groups exist they exist in our society and you know, we're, we have to talk to one another in order to hash out these ideas. And, you know, earlier the lady talked about the potential for violence. And this is one of the problems with, with um, limiting free speech or, or eliminating free speech altogether is once you, once you take away somebody's ability to speak and to argue and to make a case for their position, you really leave no other choice for that individual uh, to express themselves other than violence that's the danger in what groups like the SPLC is doing now the other thing i want to mention just real quick real quick she talked about the threat to inclusive education now you know i don't i don't even know what inclusive education is i mean are there some kids not in the in the math class for example that aren't learning math because of, i don't know some immutable quality I mean if you're sitting in the math class and the teacher is instructing you on math how is that not inclusive for everybody in the class I mean are they kicking black children out of the class and making them sit in the hall I mean what is this all about I think this is stupid this is just this is what what they mean by inclusive education is they want to spread some of the ideas around CRT that that if you're black you you you've been oppressed and you have been disadvantaged in our society, and if you're white, you have privilege, and you should step aside and let somebody else uh, take an opportunity ahead of you. I mean, these are the ideas they want to teach in school. It has nothing to do with math, history, uh, uh, English, uh, literature, all the things they're supposed to be teaching you in school. So this inclusive education stuff is just a bunch of BS.
3: And this is the third year in a row that we've seen the number of hate groups decline. But we shouldn't see that decline in groups to mean that the influence of right-wing extremism is diminishing in American politics. What we're seeing is actually the opposite, that extremist groups are declining because the ideas that mobilize them now operate so openly in the political mainstream. And so far-right organizing doesn't need to take place in hate groups When those extremist ideas are already part of the larger political conversation, when there are so many places online across so many different platforms where extremists can organize, propagandize, and recruit without ever having to join a formal group.
0: So Cassie tells us that uh, hate groups have declined three years in a row, but, you know, you can't, that doesn't mean hate itself is declining. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. That's absurd what she's saying. The other thing that she makes is my point. She she basically says, you can be in a hate group now without even joining the group. <laughs> this is the point I made about the vaccine. Just by just by saying, no, I don't want to take the vaccine, you've joined the hate group, the anti-vaxxer group. You didn't do anything to um, advocate for that group. You didn't join uh, a meetup or anything like that. You just simply did your own research and decided, nope, not taking it. And now you are part of the anti-vaxer group. So I, I think that's interesting too. That they're that they're basically they're I guess the the number of groups is declining. So they're they're fabricating groups in order to uh, you know make sure that this hate map uh, expands out into the future.
3: What we're describing in this report, it's not just hate groups that exist on the fringes of society. It is a hard right mainstream political movement. And it's made up of a variety of actors. And that includes hate groups and anti-government extremist groups, but it also includes Trump loyalists, right-wing think tanks, media organizations, and activists who have real political power. Um, And because they have that access to power, they've really been able to dominate public debate and spread conspiracies and misinformation, and really to become one of the most powerful forces shaping American politics today.
0: So Cassie here, she literally took half the country or more, and just called them a hate group. Everybody's a hate group. Even Trump, Trump people that voted for Trump, um, everybody, everybody on the far right, media outlets—they're all hate groups. I mean, this is just absurd on so many levels. I mean, you've really got to—you really got to know about this organization. I'm, I'm, this has been bothering me for years, and I wanted to talk about it. And they're just making my case for me, really.
3: Many of the groups that we track are really trying to take advantage of this moment because they feel that their ideas have traction within the American electorate and within the halls of power. And white nationalist groups in particular are really trying to harness the grievances of Trump supporters into an openly ethno-nationalist political movement. And it's one that they hope will eventually form the core of the GOP. That's the goal of white nationalists like Nick Fuentes' America First Foundation, which was formed this year and which we list as a hate group. Um, Fuentes is a racist, anti-Semitic live streamer. Um, He was on the ground at the Capitol on January 6th, and he is trying to build a young cohort of extremists to take over the GOP.
0: I want you to go look up Nick Fuentes. Nick Fuentes is not a white nationalist, and he's not an extremist. He's a young guy and young people sometimes have ideas that are, you know, they haven't, they're not well thought out or whatever, but, uh, I, am more afraid of this Cassie lady talking than I would ever be of Nick Fuentes. What she's talking about is Nick Fuentes is, is, is a, is a strong border guy. That's all. That's all he is. And he's a, a Republican, but, uh, you know, she just, I mean, this is unbelievable really. I mean, Anybody that's, um, influential at all that shows up on the radar who has views that these people don't agree with, you're just a a white nationalist, a hater, um, you know, uh, an extreme writer, you know, extreme right Republican. I mean, this is ridiculous. These people, I, I, I don't know who's funding these people, but I wish they would stop.
3: And he has connections to the party, um, Last month, Representatives Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene both spoke at his America First political action conference, um, and they did so alongside a handful of other elected officials. And we're seeing other signs that dangerous white supremacist ideas are really getting a greater toehold in the mainstream, which is where they can do the most damage. Um, This year, we saw Fox News pundit Tucker Carlson, um, as well as numerous elected officials reference the great replacement, sometimes using that phrase. Um, Itself. And that is a conspiracy theory that says that political elites are trying to systematically and deliberately replace white people um, with non whites through policies like immigration.
0: For most of you out there, I don't even need to comment on this. You just know this is bullshit, what she just said. Most Americans know that we have a, a, a welfare state, okay? They know that school is free. They know that um, people of, of lesser advantage can move into their neighborhood, into apartments that are subsidized by the government, and send their little kids, their little, and, and they're brown, okay, for sure, but they can send their little kids and overwhelm the schools and, and really change uh, the, the complexity of the school. And people don't want that. People don't want their neighborhoods being transformed overnight. And so they see the border. They see something like the Biden administration just leaving the border wide open. And, you know, what are you supposed to conclude? I mean, is it a conspiracy? Okay, is the government intentionally doing this? Are Are they trying to replace white people with brown people coming across the southern border? Who knows? Who knows what they're doing? But we can see with our own eyes what's happening. And the fact is, if it continues, the people that live in America, Americans, will be replaced by these people from poor nations, and it will burden us as taxpayers. That's what people are concerned about—not the fact that they're brown and they, you know, and, and she she calls it immigration. It's not immigration. And I think Tucker Carlson is right. It's an invasion. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's a bloodless invasion, but it's not without cost. And people are concerned about it. And in a democracy, you know, which I'm not a fan of, but if if a lot of people are concerned about something and vote a certain way because they're concerned about it, then that's, as far as I'm concerned, that's democracy. That's what, uh, that's what you're advocating, Cassie, is democracy. So, I, you know, to, to sit there and call Tucker Carlson a white nationalist or a hater or whatever, I mean, that's just stupid. That's just somebody who can't make a, a valid argument in the affirmative in, in, for, the, for the reason why all these people should be pouring over our border. And Tucker's out there trying to make an argument for why they shouldn't. And they don't have an argument, so they're just going to call them names and um, put them on their hate map, And along with Nick Fuentes and his group. I mean, it's, it's just stupid.
3: And I think it really bears emphasizing that the Great Replacement is the central narrative that is driving the white nationalist movement. And now it has moved beyond the pages of terrorist manifestos, and it's being repeated and lent legitimacy by people with real power and influence. And when you combine that with this hard right effort to silence conversations about racism in our schools and in other public places, what you create is an atmosphere where anti-black, anti-immigrant and ethno-nationalist policies can really further take root. And one of the strongest reactionary campaigns that we are tracking right now is being led by anti-LGBTQ activists. And it is especially targeted at trans people. We documented 65 anti-LGBTQ groups in 2021, and most of them are focused on the state level, on creating state-level legislation to ban trans-inclusive curriculum, to deny gender-affirming care, and to criminalize people who are providing that care.
0: I know you don't want me to, but I could do a whole show on just that last clip. There is so much in there. Uh, We've already kind of talked about the Great Replacement, uh, but she does make the comment that it's fast becoming the central narrative. Well, doesn't that tell you all you need to know? That people are concerned about this. People that participate in democracy are concerned about this. If it's becoming the central narrative, I mean, what? How, I don't understand. The things they want to talk about are important to democracy, but the things that the other side wants to talk about are hate and ethno- Nationalism, I mean, it just—it's the whole thing is ridiculous, really. But these groups have power; they have the Democratic Party's ear, okay, at the federal level. And which you think is an interesting point that she brought up here, also in here, she she talked about an anti-LBG, uh, excuse me, LGBTQ movement, and she said it's mostly focused on the state level. Well, why is that? Well, it's because the federal government has already gone 100% jumped in the pool on all this craziness. And there's nothing but the states left to save the rest of us. So that's why these, these movements are bubbling up at the state level and the local level. And um, in, in what she says is she says these, are, these have been uh, bans on trans-inclusive curriculum. Okay, again, I talked about this earlier, but what does that mean? What does that mean? Are they making the trans people go stand in the hall or go to the bathroom? And I mean, are they excluding them from education somehow? Because as far as I'm concerned, they should be teaching them math, you know, history, English, and science. That's it. So I don't know where trans inclusivity comes into that mix of education, but. This is just a you know they sometimes they talk about they'll use these terms that it's just a construct of language you know that um uh usually they'll talk about something on the right and they'll and they'll say, oh, it's just a construct like like gender it's just a it's just a a language construct there's no such thing as gender to me, the opposite is true this whole Inclusive curriculum, trans-inclusive curriculum, that's a construct. That's an abstraction. It doesn't mean anything. There's, theres I'd be willing to bet everything in my bank account right now that if I walked into a classroom where a little trans kid sat, the education would be going on as usual. Whatever they're talking about, science, math, whatever it is, they'd be talking about it. The other thing that she said in here is, is another dumb idea. It's this gender-affirming care. And what they're talking about there is, let's say you have a little one, a first grader in school, okay? What, what they're saying is that the teacher, if the teacher gets the sense, let's say it's a little boy, if the teacher gets the sense that your little boy likes to play with girl dolls, they believe that the teacher should be able to talk to the little boy about how he feels. Does he feel like a little girl? Does he does he like to uh wear dresses? They believe that that the teacher should talk to your child in that manner. That's what gender affirming care is. <laughs> now it that is a an enormously radical idea. I, I would venture to say 90% of Americans do not want that happening in school. And yet these, this is what these groups are pushing. And so if you're pushing against that, well, you're a white nationalist, ethno, ethno-nationalist, hate group. Uh, you hate America. You hate democracy. Uh, you hate L- L- LGBTQ people. You hate black people. You hate brown people. I mean, this is, this is the, the absurdity of their logic. And so, you know, look. In, in closing, I think we just we need to be on the lookout for these these types of groups. They're enormously destructive to our uh, to our body politic, um, and there's no doubt they have fans on the left and uh, the Biden administration, uh, just within the government. I mean, they're teaching this stuff in the Army and in the Navy, you know, the armed forces. They're teaching it in, in, within the FBI and all the, all the institutions inside uh, the United States of America. They're teaching this stuff. And it's destructive. It's not inclusive, regardless of what they say. It's exclusive uh, more than anything. I mean, what about the norm what about the people that are quote unquote normal? You know, they're not LGBTQ. They're just an average kid trying to go to school. I used to say this all the time that the average kids are not being served in the public school system. That's part of the problem with the school system. You know, your English is a second language, people are being served. Your kids that are, you know, slow and have mental issues, those kids are being served the the average kid, you know the the ninety percent or let's let's not even say that let's say the sixty seven percent of kids that go to high school or go to uh, public school where we weren't we want them to learn how to read and write. I mean that's why we socialize public education right, which again I think is stupid and doesn't work. But that was the rationale behind it was to to get the average person you know, up to some level of literacy and competency around math. Well, now they're just bringing in all this other stuff and your average kid doesn't get served. Just in closing, I would say, you know, if you've got kids in public school or you're going to be putting kids in school soon, man, figure out a way to homeschool them or at least get them into a private school where you can exercise some influence. Because My experience with these public schools is they're just pre-prisons.